stay standing. Let's hear these words from 1 Corinthians 13 again, verses 8 through 12. Love never fails, but when there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And reading verse 13, just to remind us again, it says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Please be seated. The title of today's message is Love Never Fails. Another title could have been The Permanency of Love. And uh, as we go through all of this, I, I... as we talk about love, love takes on a lot of meanings for different people. And just that reminder, again, there was a young man who said to his father at breakfast one morning, he said, Dad, I'm going to go get married. How do, you know you, how do you know you're ready to get married? His dad asked him. Are you in love? And he said, I sure am. How do you know you're in love? Asked his father. And this was the son's answer. Last night as I was kissing my girlfriend goodnight, her dog bit me and I didn't feel the pain until I got home. <laughs> I guess that's maybe what you call puppy love, I suppose, as we go along. And that's the way a lot of people view love. But you and I know and we remember from what we've been looking at here over the past month um, with this chapter, we need to remember that without love, we're a noise. We're nothing. We gain nothing. (laughs) And uh, we need to remember that aspect of, of God's love and what God's love is. Love is and love is not. We talked about all those things and love always does these things. But so often we forget about that agape love, the love that gives everything. In first verse 1, we saw the things that way and in the verses as we've looked through them, You know that in the United States, love is a very lucrative business. Um, Retailers do quite a bit with love. Let's just take Valentine's Day, for instance. Do you know that the average spent on Valentine's Day, and this number comes from back in 2014, it's probably much higher now. Do you know how much the average person spends if we average everybody out per person on Valentine's Day? $134. Per person. And uh, about $17 billion a year for that holiday. (laughs) If Valentine's Day is any indication, we certainly seem to think so, Valentine's Day becomes the world's definition of love so often. If we just do something for someone else, and we just define love as emotional, romantic, and dare we say erotic, at times, and sometimes just downright corny <laughs> to do something. But we know what true agape love is. It's the love of Jesus Christ. It's what He did for us. It's unfailing. It's self-sacrificing. It's unconditional. And it's uncommon <laughs> in our world. 
Jonathan Swift, the author of Gulliver's Travels, once said this. He said, we have just enough religion, and he's talking about Christianity in that way, but just enough religion to make us hate, but not enough to make us love one another. (laughs) Why is love so terribly difficult for us sometimes? Aren't we followers of God who is himself love? Surely there must be something that we could do be doing to encourage the love within us to grow and prosper and become what God intends it to be. Now, the Corinthian church was trying to compete through the possession of spiritual gifts. They had forgotten all about what Paul called a more excellent way. So what if they could speak in tongues? Without love, it's just a noise. Who cares if they could command mountains to move? If they lacked love, they were just showing off. And not even the ultimate sacrifice of goods or possessions or even life itself meant anything if there was no motivation of love behind it. We are useless nobodies, somebody said. We're gaining nothing if we're without love. Love is at the core of the Christian faith because God is love. For God so loved the world. He loved the people and the world He created. Not the world that become under the influences of evil. But by this we know love that He laid down His life for us. Do you know how many times the word love is used in the English New Testament? A little over 700 times that word can be used. was Jesus' primary teaching, and he showed it besides preaching it. We can't rewrite our lives. We can't fix other people's faults, and we certainly can't force ourselves to get along. All we can do is demonstrate love and view others through the lens of love as God views them. Look at that part in the text here in verse 8. It says, but where... There are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. (laughs) We can have all those things. We can have these gifts. We can give all the prophecies, but they will cease one day. We can speak in tongues and we can do all the different things. We can speak in the other languages, but one day that's going to be stilled. After all, who is the Word of God? (laughs) Who embodies it? Jesus Christ Himself. Who is the all-knowing God? Because it says here, even knowledge itself will pass away. But then it says, but when perfection comes, the imperfect will disappear. Now, we may think we're perfect at times. We may think that we have things all right. But you and I know where our perfection comes from. True perfection comes through Christ and His righteousness. You ever heard the perfect story? The perfect story goes like this. There was a perfect man who met a perfect woman and after a perfect courtship they had a perfect wedding and their life together was, of course, perfect. One snowy, stormy Christmas Eve, this perfect couple was driving along a winding road when they noticed someone at the roadside in distress Being the perfect couple, they stopped to help. 
There stood Santa Claus with a huge bundle of toys. Not wanting to disappoint any children on the eve of Christmas, the perfect couple loaded Santa and his toys into their vehicle, and soon they were driving along delivering the toys. Unfortunately, the driving conditions deteriorated, and the perfect couple and Santa Claus had an accident. Only one of them survived the accident. Who was the survivor? That's the story, and that's the question that comes. The answer is this. The perfect woman, because she's the only one that really existed in the first place. Everyone knows there's no Santa Claus. There's no such thing as a perfect man. Actually, there's a, there is a, another response to that, um, a male's response. So if there's no perfect man and no Santa Claus, the perfect woman must have been driving. That explains why there was a car accident. We laugh at ideas of perfection. And we think about those different things. But the perfect that it's talking about here is that day when love is perfected completely. It's been perfected in what Christ did for us. But it won't be perfected in our lives until eternity for you and me. We'll know it. We can know it now, but we will know it fully at that time. That perfection that comes there's you know what's interesting is as a person grows older we begin to see how imperfect we are all the more and how much we need the lord there there was a japanese painter and i don't even know how to pronounce his name correctly but hokusai and his his career spanned many years before his death in 1849 in the at the age of 89 is when he died. But toward the end of his life, the artist dismissed as nothing. All the work he had done before he was 50 years old, he thought of it as nothing. It it was only after he reached 70 that he felt he was turning out anything worthy of note. (laughs) And on his deathbed, Hokusai lamented. He said, if heaven had granted me five more years, I could have become a real painter. (laughs) How many of us live with this idea we have to be perfect? Now, in order to get to heaven, we do have to be perfect, so to speak. But how many of us are perfect? None of us are. Mac Davis thought he was when he sang the song, Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day, the song goes. You know, it's interesting because as we look at the next part, Paul writes this and he says that when I was a child, well, he does verse 9 first. We know and we know in part and we prophesied in part, but perfection comes. But then he says in verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the childish ways behind me. It's interesting in Scripture, we're asked to have childlike faith. But there's a big difference between being childlike and childish. How many of us people act childish at times? Yeah, there's some hands that went up, and it was all men's hands, if I noted. In that way, we do that. We tend to do that. But what he's talking about here is with love. Um, Amy Grant wrote a song years ago called Fat Baby. If you ever get a chance to listen to it, it talks about somebody, um, I don't know what's the best way to say that um, in those regards. 
I'll give you a little bit of it. It says, I know a man, maybe you know him too. You can never tell. He might even be you. He knelt at the altar and that was the end. He's saved and that's all that matters to him. His spiritual tummy, it can't take too much. One day a week, he gets his spiritual lunch. On Sunday, he puts on his spiritual best and gives his language, language a spiritual rest. <laughs> and the chorus is, he's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle and he doesn't mean maybe. <laughs> Some people think that all we need is just one day a week. <laughs> A little bit, and that's it. But we aren't to be fat babies. We're to grow and we're to mature in Christ. I can't determine that maturity. But God's Word helps us to mature and to grow in Christ. It's so fun when the little ones are up here to know that that seed of faith has been put into them by God through His Word and through the gift of baptism, that means of grace, that that can grow if they're taught the Word of God and raised in that way. <laughs> but Paul writes, he says, I did become a man and I matured. <laughs> and when I matured, I put those childish ways behind me. Now, you and I both know that we'll still struggle with the childish ways because we have that old nature that's there. But that childish head sticks its up at times. But we need to have God help us put those things away to grow up, so to speak. Um, there was a group of tourists that were visiting a picturesque village. And they walked by an old man that was sitting beside a fence in a rather patronizing way, one tourist asked him, he said, were any great men born in this village here? And the old man replied, nope, only babies. <laughs> it, 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 it was an interesting question and a, a profound answer that came. But there's no instant heroes. We have to grow. To grow in Christ, whether in this world or in the kingdom of God, growth takes time. It takes time as God works, as the Holy Spirit works in our lives. The familiar Mother Goose rhyme goes like this, Pussycat, Pussycat, where have you been? I've been to London to visit the Queen. Pussycat, Pussycat, what did you do there? I guess that fits for this week too with the coronation maybe. I frightened a little mouse under the chair. Now you may be wondering, why share that with you? Well, a lot of times we're like that cat. Christians, we sometimes settle for just petty involvements, trivial pursuits, chasing mice when we have the opportunity to spend time with royalty, with the king. Each day as we begin each day, we can spend it with him and his word. But instead, many times we remain content with the minimum daily requirements. We can deepen our relationship with God and grow in that maturity. <laughs> Yet there are times where we are deceived <laughs> and we don't act like we should. The man or the woman that God has called us to be. <laughs> there was a fellow that was sitting at a stoplight and the lady in front of him in the vehicle was going through some papers that were lying on the passenger seat of the car. And when the light changed to green, she didn't move. She did not follow the instruction of the light that was up there. You know, stop on red, move on green, go real fast on yellow. 
And when the light turned yellow and then back to red, this gentleman with his windows up began screaming and beating on the steering wheel of his car. And his expressions of distress were quickly interrupted by a policeman at his window, gun drawn, tapping on his window. And against his protests of, you can't arrest me for hollering in my car, the officer ordered him into the back seat of his patrol car. After about an hour in a holding cell, as the officer checked out the individual, the arresting officer advised him, and he was free to go. And he said, I knew you couldn't arrest me for for what I was yelling in my own car. You haven't heard the last of this. And the officer replied, he said, I didn't arrest you for shouting in your car. I was directly behind you at the light. I saw you screaming and beating your steering wheel. And then I noticed the cross hanging from your rearview mirror. And the Jesus is coming soon bumper sticker that you had on the back of the car. And the fish symbol. And I thought... You must have stolen the car. (laughs) You know, we chuckle at that. But how true is that? Now, how does the last part end here? Now, then, (laughs) we see but a foreflection in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. What do we see when we look into the mirror? We see that reflection. That reflection that's there. There's a Peanuts cartoon that shows Lucy standing with her arms folded and that stern expression on her face. And Charlie Brown pleads, Lucy, you must be more loving. What the world really needs now is love. You need to let yourself love to make this world a better place. And Lucy angrily whirls around and you know what Lucy does to Charlie Brown. She knocks him to the ground and she screams at him, Look, blockhead, the world I love, it's people I can't stand. (laughs) Well, I guess we can be a little better than Lucy at times and love people. There will be individuals that we will have a hard time with. (laughs) And I suspect that many of us have found that it's easier to talk about love than it is to show that love. It's easier to be committed to love than it is to actually do it. When we look in the mirror... (laughs) What we see and what the world or what the word of God tells us about that is when we look into the mirror of God's word, we see who we really are. And we see that we are people in need. People in need of salvation, people in need of that greatest gift of forgiveness. We need the love of God to do its work in our lives. So that it will show when we go forward. After being away for some time. No, here we go. I don't know if you knew this, but ancient mirrors were actually manufactured manufactured in the great city of Corinth. It was known for the mirrors that it made 
These mirrors were not like our mirrors today, though. They were made of metal. And they gave a very dim reflection. And maybe that's part of as Paul uses this, it would be very real to them. Now we see in a mirror dimly. We don't see everything. It's an illustration of our imperfect knowledge on this side of eternity. When we cross the other side of eternity, when we're in heaven, we will know all things and knowledge will be full. It will be complete. But on this side, it's dim. It's imperfect. Have you ever seen your reflection in a metal spoon? Have you done the thing like that? That's, that's the reflection that we're kind of here. It's, it becomes more of a stranger type of image. And that's the way it is in earth. It's imperfect. when we see in eternity we're going to be able to see things very clearly the mirror of God's word is what he's talking about here and what we look into and it shows us who we really are and what we really need (laughs) and then there's this beautiful picture that we will need him one day We will see him face to face. By the way, mirrors can be rather interesting, can't they? Our mirrors today show us a lot of different things. There was a certain private school, not heritage, that was having a unique problem with a number of 12-year-old girls. They were beginning to use lipstick. So you know what they decided to do when they would go into the bathroom at school is uh, try it out on the mirror, of course. And every night the maintenance man would remove them and the very next day the girls would put them right back and finally one of the teachers or one of the principals decided that something had to be done. So he called all the 12-year-old, the 6th grade girls into the bathroom and he met with them there with the maintenance man and he explained that these lip prints have to stop. We need to have clean mirrors every night. To demonstrate how difficult it was to clean the mirrors She asked the maintenance man to show the girls how much effort it took. He took out his long-handled squeegee, he dipped it in the toilet, and then cleaned the mirrors. Since then, there's been no problem with lip prints on the mirror. The only way we can be clean was accomplished by somebody dying for us and taking the punishment. That's one day what we will see face to face. (laughs) And we will come face to face with our Savior. Will it be a day that, be a day of fear for you, or will it be a day where you can look into the eyes of your Savior and say, thank you, Jesus, for the love that you've shown me. (laughs) I love you. I need you. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. In the 1986 Crocodile Dundee movie, Dundee is, of course, from Australia. He visits New York City for the first time. And as best I can recall about the movie, he's being accompanied by this female newspaper writer and suddenly finds himself cornered by a gang of young thugs And when Crocodile Dundee doesn't give them his wallet, one young hoodlum pulls out a switchblade and threatens Dundee. And Crocodile Dundee simply reaches behind his back while saying, that's not a knife. 
and he pulls out a large buoy-type knife, as you see on the screen, and he says, this is a knife. As we read 1 Corinthians 13, we can almost hear the Apostle Paul saying to the Corinthians about the world, that's not love. That's not love. This is love. The love of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Donald Barnhouse took the nine fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and he showed how love shines through each one. This is the way he wrote it and you see it on the screen. Love is the key. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Long-suffering or patience is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. Self-control is love holding the reins. I like that. Love acts. Love does things. How are we doing it, love? Is ours an uncommon love? (laughs) Do people know that we're Christians by the way that we love others? Or do they wonder whose we are because they can't see the love of God in us? How are we doing it, love? (laughs) Do we ask ourselves the reasons why we're doing what we're doing? Are we responding with the way this chapter describes, no matter how we feel? Is demonstrating God's love to others the most important thing we do? (laughs) Charles Swindoll said this. He said, there's an old Marine Corps buddy of mine. He said, to my pleasant surprise, he came to know Jesus Christ after he was discharged. And it was a surprise because he was a guy who cursed loudly, fought hard, chased women, drank heavily, loved war and weapons, and hated chapel services, he said. He said, I met him a number of months ago. I ran into this fellow. And after we'd talked a while, he put his hand on my shoulder and he said this. He said, you know, Chuck, the only thing I miss in that old fellowship is I used to have with all the guys down at the tavern. That's the only thing I miss. I miss that fellowship I had with them down at the bar. I remember how we used to sit around and let our hair down. And I can't find anything like that for Christians. I no longer have a place to admit my faults and talk about my battles where somebody won't preach at me and frown and quote me a verse. And Chuck Swindell writes, he says, it wasn't one month later that in my reading I came across this profound paragraph. It said, the neighborhood bar is possibly the best counterfeit that there is to the fellowship Christ really wants to give his church. (laughs) It's an imitation dispensing liquor instead of grace, escape rather than reality, but it is a permissive, accepting, and inclusive fellowship. It's unshockable. You can tell people secrets, and they usually don't tell others or even want to. The bar flourishes not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put it into the human heart, the desire to know and be known, to love and be loved, and so many seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. With all my heart, I believe that Christ wants his church to be unshockable, he writes. A fellowship where people come in and say, I'm sunk, I'm beat, I've had it. But our churches often miss that. Now before you take up arms to shoot some wag that would compare your church to the corner bar, stop and ask yourself, he writes, some tough questions like I had to do. Make a list of some possible embarrassing situations people may not know how to handle. (laughs) I'm going to read the list he has here. 
He says a woman discovers her husband is a practicing homosexual. Where in the church can she find help where she's secure with her secret? Your mate talks about separation or divorce. To whom do you tell it? Your daughter is pregnant and she's run away for the third time. She's no longer listening to you. What do you tell? Who do you tell that to? You lost your job and it was your fault. You blew it. So there's shame mixed with unemployment. Who do you tell that to? Financially, you were unwise and you're in deep trouble. Or a man's wife is an alcoholic. Or something as horrible as getting back the biopsy, biopsy from the surgeon and it reveals cancer and the prognosis isn't good. Or you've had an emotional breakdown. To whom do you tell it? He writes this. He says, we're the only outfit I know that shoots its wounded. We can become the most severe, condemning, judgmental, guilt-giving people on the face of planet Earth, and we claim it's in the name of Jesus Christ. And all the while, we don't even know we're doing it. That's the pathetic part of it all, he says. How are we doing it, love? (laughs) Is it the love that Christ has? Or are we caught up in our own... Excuse me, we caught up in our own world. And we get petty and childish rather than childlike. Love has eternity in view. D.L. Moody once said, I never preach a sermon without thinking that possibly the Lord may come back before I preach another one. This may be the last sermon I ever preach. I could die in the next instant. Or the Lord could come back. The Lord wants us to know Him and wants us to know that true love. And He wants us to have Him as a part of our life. After an accident in which little Jamie lost her arm, she refused to go to school or church for an entire year. Finally, the the young teen thought she could face her peers. And in preparation, her mom got the Sunday school teacher ready for it so that that he wouldn't call attention to Jamie and with things that way. The teacher promised that he wouldn't, but the teacher got sick that Sunday and had had to call a substitute. And he forgot to tell the second teacher about Jamie's condition. It was her first day back. At the conclusion of the lesson that day, which was about inviting friends to church, the substitute led the class in doing the hand motions to that familiar children's poem. Maybe you know it. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Did you recognize that you need to have two hands to do that? Jamie's eyes filled with tears when they began. But there was a 13-year-old boy that realized how she must have been feeling. So he came over to her, he knelt beside her, and they did it with one hand each. And supported each other, making the church steeple and the people. That illustrates what the real church is. Uncommon love. In this world, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. But we have an access to the most powerful love in the world. And Paul says here, love never fails. This agape love of God, agape love of Christ never fails. We can cause it to fail.
But it never fails when it's done in that reality. Paul says the gifts of the Spirit are temporary for this life only. Paul says the gifts of the Spirit are only partial. but They'll make them be complete when Christ comes. Paul says the gifts will end. The gifts are infantile. When Christ returns, we'll mature. But Paul says that love is eternal and out of faith, hope, and love, which is the one that will remain? Love. When Christ returns, we won't need faith because faith will become sight. And when Christ returns, hope will become reality. The only thing that will last in eternity is love. The love of Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I've spewed a lot of words today and different things, but you, Lord, take your word here and work that love in our hearts. That love that's hard to explain. And as we come to your table in a little bit here too, Lord, to receive that gift, help us to come just as we are. We need you.